0: Welcome to season two of mouthwash fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident monday to friday with me your host paul armstrong creator of tbd conference interviewing powerful people is easy but that's not the mouthwash way instead we're creating the less obvious elements of power this season what's really driving the world who's working behind the scenes to keep the wheels on who's messing things up who's got power who wants it how do you get it we're exploring it all Joining me every episode is a smart cookie of my choosing, and today's cookie is none other than CEO of Beauty Stack, Charmadine Reed. How's the weather in Italy, Charles?
1: It's absolutely boiling here. Oh, I knew it. Well, like, fully We've hot. just had
0: an absolute torrential downpour uh, where we are in London. But um, anyway, before we uh, chat more with uh, Sharmadine, uh, let's talk more about how you can get involved. Twitter Spaces is, is still a beta product from Twitter, so let's explore it a bit. On the mobile app, the bit top bit is called The Nest. That's where I or any speaker can post tweets like the ones you see at the top. Mouthwash uses this to discuss them in a section we call Desert Island Tweets. Um, you can click through, follow accounts, links, etc. It's very handy and a unique feature to twitter spaces so if you're running a space or in one check them out Um, you can see all your beautiful faces and the speakers are at the top spaces allow up to 11 speakers at a time including the host so you can have a really good conversation and chat with multiple voices but it's not unmanageable and unwieldy you can request the mic in any space you're in by clicking the mic at the bottom left although mouthwash is more of a show format so we actually take questions via the hashtag #MouthwashShow. if you click it at the top in the blue uh you can go straight through and it'll uh, create a tweet for you and it saves you a lot of uh typing twitter's also recently introduced a slew of monetization features so you know they're talking uh, talking, talking talk and walking the walk about spaces as well so check them out uh if you look at the bottom right of your phone screens you'll see some icons dots people heart etc the dots are where all the settings are so you can turn on captions and other accessibility features should you need those as well Right. Time to share out the space. If you haven't already, please join and uh, click on the icon on the right, the staple with the arrow pointing up and click share in a tweet and uh, just put live now in it or something like that, whatever you want to say and let the world know that you found something great. Not only is that really good because it gets more people into the space, but it actually gets more trees planted because every uh, live listener we have this season, we're actually planting a tree courtesy of the smart people over at Ecology who make offsetting carbon footprints super easy. I've worked with them for years and you can find out more over at Ecology Ecology.com, and that's E C O L O G I.com. Whether it's for you, your business, or just a gift for someone, Elliot and the team over there are great partners and they've um, been really good for TBD. Thanks also to Shell for sponsoring the show. Shell's also recently published a target to be a net zero emissions energy business by 2050 or sooner, obviously in step with society. You can find out more about how Shell is powering progress over at shell.com forward slash powering progress. Okay. Time to shower Sharmadine in a frankly disgusting amount of emojis. So if you click the heart with a plus by it and begin showering her while I tell you more about her, please don't stop until the end. If you are ready, steady, go. MBE, CEO and person who likes to terrify me by taking our meetings while driving. Sharmadine Reid is no stranger to hard work. As CEO of Beauty Stack, a new way to book beauty where you'll go from inspiration to appointment in just a few taps. She and the team help to empower women around the globe. Previously, a brand consultant and fashion stylist for Nike, ASOS, and Arena Hom, Sharmadine Reed launched WIRE Nails uh, as a side project that blew up and ended up creating a product line with Walgreens Boots Alliance before founding Beauty Stack. And cross, uh, she also created um, Future Girl Corps, which we'll talk about, and that's a voluntary organisation that provides support and advice to female, future female CEOs and businesswomen. Now an MBE, author, and focusing on the Stack World, Sharmadine recently launched an ecosystem for women to women services content uh, and conversations to drive commerce uh, but they're only just getting started thank you for joining us shama Dean. i appreciate you you are i know you're in italy at the moment um what was the first thing you thought of when you woke up this morning
1: first thing i thought of when i woke up was am i being lazy
0: oh interesting what, what did you come up with
1: <laughs> no i need a rest <laughs> it's because this is my first day of my vacation um Which was booked, you know, fairly last minute. This conversation that we're having now has been booked in the diary for ages. So, of course, I'm going to honor it regardless. And I woke up at eight o'clock, which is like way late. I usually wake up at 6 a.m. or so. And I was like, oh, my goodness, am I being lazy? And then I was like, no, I, I really
0: need to chill yeah, out. No, I agree with that. I put out a tweet, actually, um, this morning about that sort of stuff. And everyone, because I hear people saying, oh, I'm feeling lazy because I haven't done anything. But really, I think a lot of it is just overstimulation. You know, you've got so many calls on your time and that sort of stuff. Everyone feels because they're not achieving things, they're being lazy or they just, you know, they can't make choices. So I, I 100% on that for you. Um, how have the last 18 months been for you?
1: Frankly, they've been horrendous, if I'm truthful. Um, You know, even being here now, talking with my friends from New York and LA, we're all like, wow, the last 18 months have probably been the worst we've ever experienced. But then we kind of have to zoom out and think, given the history of people who are still alive today, who have been through war, you know, people who have experienced famine, people who have experienced extreme, like, world events this maybe isn't minor, like I essentially had to stay in my house and think of a new business, it wasn't it wasn't as bad for me, but yeah, yeah it was pretty stressful.
0: I, th- I think that's important to sort of note, isn't it? For most people, it's like while we didn't have to pick up a gun and go and shoot people that we've never met and probably you know we would get on with if we actually had a chat with, previous generations did have to do that and it was a lot harder. That's not to put anything into trivialities and literally being locked in your home and that sort of stuff, and, and that, but it does sort of put it in perspective. So kudos to you and your friends for actually thinking about that and saying it because there are a lot of people who aren't saying that. You know, they're saying like, oh, you know, woe is me and that sort of stuff. So. I think getting on and sort of moving past it, but also recognising what we've gone through, super important. Um,
1: Do you know what I think it is as well? Actually, it this this pandemic has really made me consider, like, the collective trauma of all of our parents and grandparents in the World War. You know, in the Second World War, and how they didn't have the tools that we have today to address that trauma. Right. So essentially, you know, even now I think about how self-care is spoken about on the internet and how as little as like four years ago, people weren't using that language in social media, like on Instagram, people weren't talking about self-care or rest or any of these phrases. People weren't talking about like, I don't know, codependency or narcissism or any of the language that we now have to describe um, things that were pre to us and kind of you know mankind and now we have those tools and it really really makes me think whoa imagine all of those millions of people who have been through real collective trauma because of world war ii or any of the people to deal with it and what has the knock-on effect and the fallout being of my grandparents you know, experiencing that type of thing and never, never dealing yeah, with
0: it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot of people are sort of feeling in that sort of realm of, like, thinking back. And also, I hope, looking forward. Like, hopefully that this has taught them some things and things that they want to achieve, maybe, and that sort of stuff as well. Um, before we get into beauty stack and empowerment, I want to know, what was the young Sharma like?
1: Oh, good question. Um, so young Sharma was really curious Quite happy and optimistic always like wandering off doing my own thing happy within a group but also happy by myself constantly reading loving media culture loving mtv and you know channel 4 like just absorbing information to be Mm. honest and then thinking about ways to use it
0: interesting Uh, did you get that from anyone or you just think that that's how you sort of ended up
1: I think that's just how I ended up actually because I am quite different to the rest of my family in so many ways but I always think about this like why did I turn out the way that I am and I don't really have a a good answer for you I'm afraid I just think that I was I like consuming stuff mm-hmm. and I like thinking about ways that I could be involved in stuff and and that was it and I was always doing that from a really really young age like whether I'd be reading newspapers or magazines or looking at university prospectuses like when I was 12 I was always like oh there's a world out here like how can I be involved in it how can I contribute to mm-hmm.
0: it you definitely seem from from all of the research that I've done and our chat you definitely seem more of a creator than say a remixer i think that's that for me has definitely um stuck out so everything you've just said there definitely fits within that sort of um arena um what let's, let's talk about. do you
1: know what though I would say like in terms of remixer I wouldn't say that I'm a like purist innovator like I wouldn't say I was an innovator in the purest sense I would say that I'm good at taking things that I see from like a bricolage collage of sources that I think the innovation is where I get my inspiration from as in I don't get it I get it from unlikely places and that method in itself might appear innovative and then the second thing is applying it to places where it might not have been applied to before so when I had my nail salon it looked like a, an art gallery or a club do you know what I mean so it was more like rather than a pure innovation like I'm not just going to make up a brand new version of what a nail salon is I'm going to take inspiration from a wide variety of sources and apply it to something that it doesn't normally get applied to and I think that's what i've kind of realized by looking back at my work i seem to do quite
0: well what does the empowerment mean to you and who empowered you in the early years
1: empowerment to me means like sponsorship and advocacy so it's not it's about not just mentoring or forming community or giving kind words it's like no what can you do like from a tangible and tactical and actionable way to actually help me step into my power um i would say that that's what I kind of deem as true empowerment and I would say the first person the first people who empowered me were definitely my family they basically gave me books to read and you know fed me and kept me safe and you know made sure that I had all the things I needed to basically be able to do whatever I wanted and was super encouraging the second person to empower me was a teacher Mrs Forster at Elston or Primary, she filled out the school application to allow me to go to this really incredible, new, innovative, tech driven school that had just popped up in the 90s. Um, I would say, like, the, they're the two main things when I think of as being young, as like actual empowerment, because if she hadn't mentioned or Filled out that school application form for me, I definitely would have been on a different trajectory. I was really lucky to go to two incredible schools that definitely made me feel like I could be whoever I wanted to be. Wow, that
0: definitely goes back to like an action, a, a tangible an action and that sort of thing on, on her part for doing that. Who empowers you now?
1: Right now I'm empowered by, I would say my investors for one, because they've literally given me cash to explore my ideas. I would say that I'm empowered by quite a few mentors actually who are able to make connections and make introductions and again going back to that actionable thing like right now at my point in my life I don't need solace or comfort I need like conviction and advocacy so I'm definitely empowered firstly by my investors with the cash secondly um, by my network of men and women who are able to you know make those introductions to take me to the next stage in my business
0: mm. I, I would also say i'm thing. empowered
1: by my team by my team and my co-founders like my co-founders dan and ken if they if they weren't with me like building the things that i have ideas for i wouldn't have a company to you know run mm. so definitely that my engineers empower power is
0: for sure do you think that there are circles of empowerment around you? So like you just mentioned there, you've got your co-founders, your your immediate sort of people, and then you've got the external ones. Do you think that they have different, fo- um, what do you call it, pulls or forces on you? Or do you think everyone should be put in the same sort of bucket?
1: That's a really great question. I never thought about it, but now I'm going to draw it out like a diagram while I'm on holiday. <laughs> for my own satisfaction. Um Yeah, I would definitely say there's different circles of power and influence, right? And like, um, it's actually really good to think about it like that because it can kind of create boundaries for your relationships whereby if you feel like a certain group aren't empowering you in the right way, you can almost be like, but hang on a minute, their specific role is this. So for example, with my co-founders, they empower me through their engineering, through the technology But they're not necessarily like people I might go to if I needed something else like financial advice. Do you get what I'm saying? So I think it's a good exercise to not expect all things from all people. If you kind of put them in these circles of empowerment, influence, however you want to call it, and understand the role that you play in their in their life and the role they play in your life.
0: I think that's a, I think that's a good and healthy way of looking at that, for sure. Um, let's talk about empowerment. What is female empowerment specifically? Because it's not hardcore feminism, as many, I think, think. Um, is, is that fair to say?
1: Um, yeah, I never really thought about it like that. And it's funny because even though this phrase... It's not... Empowerment isn't a phrase i feel i use actually that much um i use the word power a lot like how do we help women find their economic power Mm -hmm. because empowerment implies that i'm doing them like a favor or like i'm bestowing them but it's almost like give a man a fish right or like teach them to fish. I think if you help women step into the, their power, it kind of stops this saviourness that I'm bestowing their power on them. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I think of female empowerment, I kind of think about how all of the organisations, the industry, all of the the everyone in the world who basically you know forms a non female I don't even like to use the word gender, but leads to support and bestow women with power that they necessarily don't have. Mm. I kind of have conflict with this. In terms of, like, your phrase on hardcore feminism, I never... I think of feminism as the desire for equality, and I don't think of it as a word hardcore, because I think everyone should want equality, right? We should all want to live yeah. in a world whereby you... Everyone has equal opportunity, equal equity, you know, um, equal responsibility, everything. So my kind of take on it is that my take is to kind of develop my own brand of it. Mm. The thing about any of the isms or any of the movements or modernist movements or any kind of any movement is that you always have these fractured branches of it. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I started off with my, my magazine war, I even put an issue on, like, we ain't feminists, because I didn't really know what a feminist did. And then someone wrote me, this really well-known photographer called Martha Cooper. She wrote me a letter, and she said, what are you talking about? You're exactly a feminist. Like, this is what a feminist does. And then that's when I started really doing my deep research into gender studies, thinking about women and women's history. And what I realised was that... My mechanism for equality has always been through business. You know what yes. I mean? Whereas traditionally, um, feminism and capitalism doesn't don't really go together. Do you get where I'm going Absolutely. with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Random. I'm trying to say that historically the women's studies that I read didn't really cover like business because business is a form of capitalism and capitalism isn't compatible with feminism. So I'm trying to think like how can I create my own brand or fraction of it that works for mm. me?
0: I mean that's interesting. You said feminism and capitalism can't work together, but, but you're making it work, aren't you? And you're you're sort of using No, well
1: it. that's my point. My point is is I don't know if it can work. Yeah. This what I'm doing now to me is an experiment in can it work. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that you know, I'm really interested in, in terms of all of the female founder takedowns, is that combination of feminism and capitalism not working because capitalism requires, you know, pe- some people to do labour at lower cost. Yeah. So when people are complaining about, you know, any of these women's brands whose founders are no longer at the helm, what they're actually saying is, oh, you can't talk about equality and capitalism together. You know, but at the end of the day, someone has to do the labor, someone has to serve the food, someone has to park the car, someone has to do something. So for me, I love business as a mechanism for equality and change. Mm -hmm. Business to me is an experiment, like how can I make this work? And I'm still figuring that Mm -hmm. out.
0: And I, I, I think that's important to recognize is like sometimes, you know, we're dealing with things which don't have simple issues or quick fixes. You know, there are very systemic sort of elements to it. I always think of um, uh, Buckmeister Fuller, the American systems um, theorist. Oh, yeah. He said you can never change things by fighting uh, the existing reality to change something, uh, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete, which I think you're kind of uh, on the way to sort of doing it um as a black female ceo entrepreneur do you do you resonate with that or do you think women need to reject reality sometimes
1: you know another quote that's similar to that is audrey lord you can't dismantle the master's house with the master's yes, tools yes, yes
0: yes
1: it's like the similar type of thing and i would say that like yeah i think that my personal learning journey has been about exactly that which is how can i Do the things, how can I like achieve the sense of power I want to achieve without having to subscribe to the traditional methods of acquiring power, which require, for example, incredibly masculine energy, Mm. um, very corporate ways of working, very like by the rote ways of working? Like, how can I make it okay for me to operate how I want to operate? And I think two ways that I've managed to do that one consciously one not consciously is the the first thing is like just general company culture mm-hmm. like being having a company that is led by a black female means that you do just do things differently like we don't have like tech bro shit going on in our sorry I saw uh, going on in our company do you know what mm-hmm. I mean but I remember once like the team arguing about like having ping pong tables or video games and I'm like No, just like if if those are the things that are important to you, this isn't the right company for you. Also buy them at home. Um yeah. And then the second thing is the pandemic, which wasn't obviously planned. It definitely made people realize that you could be more flexible in your work life balance. It made people realise that oh, interesting how women are still doing all of the labour and all of the childcare at home. And I think that. Having a kind of company culture, which meant that we always had shared parentally, for example, whether you were male or female in this way, I set a very different um as to how I wanted to run the company. But that has been difficult because you definitely get drawn into a startup rubbish, like startup bullshit. And that happened to me and I definitely wasted a lot of time and money being like, how does a startup work? When I'm essentially playing by the rules of like 25 year old white guys in Silicon Valley, they're not applicable to me.
0: Yeah. I think that's that's the thing, isn't it? When you when you sort of get into startups, there's sort of like a cookie cutter mold that people want to put you in, regardless of how you set it up and that sort of stuff. There's always something that will come along where they're like, "Oh, that's the way you should do it." And you're like, "No, no, no, that worked last time. That worked for them. I, I'm evaluating whether it would work for us, but actually, I'm going to stick with my values." And I think that's important because number one, I don't know where the obsession with ping pong and creativity and you know productivity comes, but apparently it's there. Um, but I never see. Um, when those ping pong tables are there, I always see them placed next to an office or something like that, which must just be Mm. so distracting for the people in the office. It's really weird. But I think it's important before we go on to speak about Beauty Stack, Stack World, um, just to sort of recognise that female empowerment isn't just the workplace. There are... um, uh, globally, 2.7 billion um, women who are legally restricted from having same job choices as men, whereas men's unemployment stands at 5.5 percent, women's is at 6.2. Um, let's talk about um, how you think the pandemic's going to affect the future of work for women. Um, it could be a great reset if people want, right?
1: Yeah, people say it, it could be the great reset. But I think you're having to change like millennia of ideology about what women's role in the, in the home and the, and the work is. And I yeah. think that, that stat that you said about um legally not able to do the same jobs and work is the most frightening of all. Because this yeah. is something I learned relatively recently, actually, just last year while doing research on COVID effects in the pandemic. I didn't realize that there are actual laws still in existence in so many countries in the world that stop women like stepping into their power freely. And I think that law and like money are my two main areas where I'm just like, if you want to talk about female empowerment, those are the things that need to change from a, a real tangible uh, thing but then the ideology and the culture it's going to take much longer and is much harder to change so what i mean by that is um you know we're reading a book with the stack world at the moment called the double x economy by professor linda scott and mm-hmm. it talks about gender equality mainly in developing worlds we're only on chapter five right now we read a chapter a week And one of the things that was really interesting was about how women don't have property rights in so many places in the world, but she's talking specifically in Uganda, et cetera, whereby even if the law changes in the women's favor, it's just not the done thing in the community. So even if the law is saying, oh, this woman is allowed the house if her husband dies, like the community don't let her, they just take it away from her. And because this has happened for centuries, you know, the police don't help, um, the elder, community elders don't help, etc. And it's just like, it's not just about the law. First and foremost, you have to change culture. Yeah. Um, quite interesting because we've had almost a decade now of this kind of wave of feminism and girl boss culture and female empowerment. But the stats aren't actually that better, No. like, yeah. over the last 10 years. So I just think, oh, okay, so we've had this, like, you know, like, girls rising up, etc. But to me, I think the next stage should really be talking about how men and women work together for all equality. Yeah. Because, you know, a woman going... Uh, even coming to the stat world and getting an understanding and a theory about how she's disempowered and then trying to, uh, what's the word, like influence or start applying some of these theories to her home. So we talk a lot, for example, about co-parenting and how gender equality actually needs to start at home with domestic, you know, domestic labour. But how can you just expect the woman by herself to go home and essentially start implementing these new theories, new cultures, new ideologies by ourselves, I think it has to be about collective learning so that everybody understands why the patriarchy hurts all of us and then we all work together to dismantle it. Because by the way, like gender inequality isn't about to me men just just men versus women, it's about a very tiny percentage of really powerful men that it trickles down to do you get what i'm saying so like men who are below the poverty line still suffer as much as women and i think that that needs to be that's not being talked about enough which is why you then get group you know like incel groups or you know um people who are like extreme misogynists I'm like, they're they're hurting too. They're just just in pain as much as I think that's
0: important to realise because I think, you know, you can't fix a problem by just, you know, killing a load of people. That usually, you know, that does solve, you know issues and that sort of stuff but it's not a long-term solution you know you're only exacerbating things so you have to sort of come together and change the sort of collective mindset if that makes sense and sort of you know I'm, mm-hmm. I'm i like you i'm really interested in how that happens you know is it um tv producers on the eastenders with a storyline i've seen that work in the past Big you know time. is it or is it more of these things is it scientific studies and that sort of stuff i think it's really easy when we sort of talk about empowerment to just sort of get very focused on sort of western culture when you think about female empowerment Um, but it's important to realise as we sort of touched on that it goes way beyond just employment I think you've got you know domestic violence corruption reduction um, national development um, self-esteem health safety just basic hygiene in some sort of places Ah. It, it is a, a huge sort of disproportionately affecting different people in parts of the world, but it, it the, the problem to your point sort of makes it feel like quite amorphous. And that's why I like that you started off with like be tangible, make actions and that sort of stuff. Um, let's talk a bit more about beauty stack Um sort of put that on a, a stall for another day. And that sort of stuff. Cause I do want to talk, keep this sort of focus on business, but I do think it's important just to sort of mention that empowerment does go beyond um, the job and that sort of stuff. Um, so beauty stack, wildly successful. Um, congratulations on all that. Your next project is obviously uh, well, not project uh, company is stack world. Um, tell me what it is and is it more of a progression or a new venture? How did it all come about?
1: With the stack world, I, there was a couple of things that that was born out of firstly with beauty stack you know we built a really cool product we grew to like 2000 meant that our audience and our users could actually start doing beauty treatments and working again um and that was like a really really stressful time so like to answer your you know one of your early questions like how's the last 18 months been it's that part that has been like really really stressful mm for me what I realized though during that time was that we kept our users engaged from day one of the pandemic we did business talks we did how to diversify your income we did um like an all-day business summit and we just created a lot of content that was motivational content for all of these young entrepreneurs on essentially how to keep going and they had really really high engagement Mm. So as the year drew to a close and Boris announced tier four, I was like, okay, I'm not sure we'll survive. Like, because we basically burnt through now almost a year of runway. And if we don't do something different, I'm not sure we'll survive with beauty stack. So what can we do? And when we looked at where our audience, what they wanted, they really wanted like business content from us. So then I was like, okay, cool we're going to create a membership community with journalism, with like a newspaper, um, on, you know, beauty, wellness, business, culture, and society. And I went away for the Christmas holiday. I wrote up a deck. I created an entirely new brand. I came back in January and I said to the team, right, this is what we're doing. Um, and then they went and built it in six weeks. And I think like, yeah, like even just thinking about it now it was a bit mad (laughs) but like the main the main issue that I had which I've only just come out of actually so it's taken me about six months is definitely grieving for that original idea that I'd been so like bullish Mm. on like I was so down and for the fact that I believe that Beauty entrepreneurs were like the next micro-influencers. I really believed in social booking. I I, I still believe in these things now. Like, how do you build a women's to women's service economy is like something I'm still talking about all the time and interested in. And while we've essentially pivoted to the stack and to this kind of business model of content, you know, under a membership arm and networking especially, it's not that I think that the the commerce aspect of the beauty stack that we built will ever go away for me because we still have all of that technology, all of the user IDs of the same. We used the back end of beauty stack to build the stack world. Mm. So anyone who basically used beauty stack can now use the stack world as a free member. If they want to upgrade their account, they can. And I'm excited to build a network of women. So think of it in stages. Like the first stage was, while the engineers are building the product, I can host loads of Zoom and we can do a really simple membership and charge. Yeah. Then secondly, we've released an app so that all of these members can now interact with each other. If you think about like, you know, an amazing company like Soho House that's existed for almost thirty years, they've only just in the last six months released features for them members to communicate with each other digitally. Yeah. Um, so like that was really important for and- is just a one-way flow of information if you can't connect members together. So we release that app and we'll be releasing, um, like every week, we're releasing basically new tools to allow members to talk to each other on the app. But then the third stage for me, which, you know, after we grow this community, I would be looking to bring in next on our roadmap is, again, how can we help those members transact with each other? And, you know, going back to that female empowerment thing, I'm like, how can I create a marketplace or a playground where transactions are happening amongst women? Because whether it is beauty or wellness or coaching or business advice or, you know, whatever it is that you want to buy, I'd be urging people to spend their money with women first before they thought about like going anywhere else. And that's kind of my contribution to gender equality is how can i help a woman
0: earn more money than she did last mm. year through our platform? I, I, I like that um talk to your values and that sort of thing I, I want to talk more about money and sort of investors and just general women economy in a minute but tell me um, one of the thing one of the themes we've been exploring this season on mouthwash is technology's ability to empower and enslave um how do you make sure that the stack world is using technology and data appropriately did you put any rules or values in place before you started
1: Yeah, we do this thing, actually, which we we haven't done last year because of COVID. But when we do an away day, we do a thing called um, like worst case scenario. Mm. And we play a game where we get into teams and I give them worst case scenarios. And then the team has to think about how they would deal with that um, as a thought exercise. And it's actually like really cool because I make them quite dramatic as if we're like a billion dollar company or something. I say. Um, When it was beauty stack, I gave a scenario to the team, for example, that said our algorithm has become so popular that we're now defining the face of how like girls do their makeup. And because our algorithm is essentially liking a lot of like face filters, more women are getting Botox and a 14 year old girl is in the news because she had Botox illegally because she saw it on beauty stack. What do we do? do you know what I mean and it's like a thought experiment that they start thinking well in advance almost too early like the power of how technology can as you said enslave people Mm. right we did another thought experiment about a data breach we did another one about like a harassment like one of our clients gets harassed by a pro on beauty stack because although we don't manage these pros you we still the platform where you found that pro right um and all of these things, like I said, start getting them thinking because right now our, our, our app and our user base is too small to think about these on a grand scale for real. What we do do, though, is always, you know, my co-founder Ken is obsessed with, like, security and, and data and stuff. So, you know, I'm sure he can answer better about what he does from a technical point of view. But from an ethical point of view, I'd like to think that we always are on the side of doing the right thing. It's actually one of my personal principles to act from integrity and always do the right mm-hmm. things. So, yeah, it's about how do we use data to help the kind of curation process, not to help you buy more crap that you don't need
0: Community has definitely been something in your career. You know, you build people's trust, people sort of come around you and that sort of stuff. You're paying that back. You've created Future Girl Corps, um, which is really putting your money where your mouth is. Can you explain what FCG is, uh, Who it f- who's it for, and how can people get involved? So
1: Future Girl Corps was something that I started in very typical Sharmaine style, which is when I want to learn something, I kind of learn and teach as I hmm. go. So I, you know, moved back to London from living in Wolverhampton for a while. It was like 2016, I really wanted to start a startup and I kind of didn't know how. So I just created a series of programs of questions I wanted to ask like, how do you find a technical co-founder? Um, how do you raise money? And then I'd invite experts to come and talk about these things. And we held a one-day extravaganza, which was the Kickstarter in Huckletree. It was like 9 a.m. till 9 p.m., like 100 women in the room. It was amazing doing all of these workshops. And then the year after, I ran a talk every day at Google Campus. But if people want to get involved now, what we do at Future Girl Corp, I've essentially absorbed into the Stack mm. world so when you become a member of the stack you basically get access to over 100 videos in our video library which include the future girl court content and there zooms on everything from like how i raised my first million to how to avoid burnout to how to manage your career as a freelancer and essentially everything you would probably want to know at your career stage all the way from like graduation to founding your own company like what to do so while Future Girl Court was a co- like it kind of that community runs on itself. I've definitely absorbed many of the members of that and much of the content into the stat world. And it's funny because the stats kind of like me coming full circle in terms of like what I've done for the last 15 years and what I think I'm like good at. I'm just now doing under this entity.
0: Mm. Um, OK, let's talk about money for a bit. Um, investment is a key area that women can and should be easily empowered but they just aren't being females uh, make up 51% of the world over 70% of the buying power but when it comes to investment they get stiff despite, uh, despite often giving better returns why is that still the case? Surely the people who are offering the money want to make money what's the issue here?
1: I think the issue is still that most investors are male um, I think the, I can't remember what the latest that is on the number of female VCs. I think it might be like 7% or something, but it's really low, right? I can't remember what it is. So I need to Google it. And if anyone in the audience knows, please, please tweet it. Um, but I think that it's very, very hard to empathize with an experience that you've never lived yourself. So if you're a male VC and you um, have never had a problem, for example, networking. You might not understand why networking app for women makes sense. Do you know yeah. what I mean? If you're, a, if you're a male VC you've never had a problem, I don't know, like pumping breast milk, you might not understand why that's a viable opportunity. Yeah. So I just think it's down to what problems in the world people decide are worth solving. And if you've experienced that problem, you think it's important. So, for example, I tweeted yesterday or Instagram yesterday. I was reading this article in Bloomberg Business Week about parking apps, and you know, one parking app had raised 120 million, one parking app had raised 68 million, another parking app had done three million seed. And I remember thinking, "Wow, 120 million on a parking app when women are still dying." From, like, you know, various diseases that aren't like, you know, that people don't know about. I think, wow, 120 million on a parking app, and we still have, like, so many problems with homelessness, et cetera. And I just think people invest in what they know. That's it. That's literally
0: it. I think it's interesting because I've spoken to VCs and and journalists as well, and they, uh, you know that sometimes there there are parallels you can draw between the two. And um, when it comes to things like femtech and that sort of stuff i i find it fascinating because it's a world i don't know about and i'm interested in that sort of stuff but there are vcs who said i I couldn't sit there and listen to it for some reason i'm just unable to do it and i was like but that says volumes about you but also aren't you like worried that your portfolio is going to miss out on the next big thing and he said to me uh he goes there's always something coming through the door and is that the issue that there's just too much that they've got to choose from that isn't what they should be doing
1: Possibly and I also think as a founder you kind of have to understand the role of a venture capitalist and it's like just it's one form of funding you know like their goal is to invest in something that can grow really really quick that they can then have like a crazy exit Mm. from and they might not see that in your thing and venture capital money might not be right for you like you know on one hand I think that The industry is really, you know, it's kind of, it's just kind of funny, like how it operates and it's almost like I'm such an outsider to this world. I don't come from a finance background. I'm obviously not white, obviously not a male, Um, that I do find it like interesting from a curiosity point of view. Then if I was to kind of be more anthropological about it, I'm like, hang on a minute, this is their job. Their job is to find things that they can grow really fast. Mm. The issue, I I try and think about systems rather than individuals when it comes to change. So rather than think of VCs as the problem, I think of the system as a whole because the VCs are just doing their part of the job. And, you know, I've been in a position of like angel investing and, you know, I've judged quite a few startup competitions. And if I think like a VC, you know, as part of an all-female judging panel, actually, for a a competition recently and i said if this was my money i would invest in company a because there's a hundred but i feel so confident they're going to get an exit however everyone else in the in the judging panel was like no we think it should be company b because they're feeling more of a purpose and mission etc now if you were a real vc it's not you know they talk about purpose and mission but their goal is to get an exit for their lps they have responsibility too So I think that it's the system as a whole. And I think if you want to break down the system, the first thing is you need more female VCs for one. But even then that can be problematic. If any people are in the room who have pitched to women, women aren't often on your side because they don't want to be the only woman in the all-male VC team that only bring the women's investments in. You know, they don't want to invest in femtech. They want to invest in like, I don't know, deep learning or something to kind of, prove themselves they've been on their own journey um the other thing that like investing in people and then not looking after them as an asset because Mm -hmm. i think in early stage funding especially you're investing in the individual right so if the individual is your asset you want to give your asset the best tools possible to succeed so i always think about this if you invest in someone who's a second time founder or you know, who comes from McKinsey or something or comes from, you know, they maybe have a computer science degree and you give them a million and then you give a million to, you know, a young Indian woman who has an amazing idea and is like doing this from scratch. They're going to spend that capital completely differently. Yeah. And actually their um, journey will be completely different. So I think like a big part of the industry, I'd like to see more is understanding that if you want to have diverse um, diversity in your portfolio you have to act differently you have to treat people differently you have to understand that their experience is different because otherwise what happens is that woman doesn't get to the next stage and then the pattern recognition is oh we can't invest in women because they don't get to the next stage but hang on you didn't give her the best chance to get to the next stage in the first place
0: um dropping truth bombs, that's for sure. Um, So you touched on it a bit there. Obviously, you need more female VCs, but why aren't more women coming together to fund their own female founded businesses and that sort of stuff? Is it fair to say, and you kind of touched upon it there, women can be their own worst enemies to each other sometimes? Or is that unfair and there's just something deeper at play?
1: I wouldn't say women can be their own worst enemy because to me that enemy is like internalised misogyny and patriarchy and that's not there that's not them you know no one is born being like oh I'm gonna hurt myself in this yeah. way like it's the way that culture has been impressed upon us from literally the even before we're born you know if you know that you've got a baby girl in your belly people are already using language assigned to that girl right. like and they're not even born yet you know what I mean give me a break (laughs) I haven't even like breathed air and you're telling me I'm gonna be feisty because I'm kicking you're already telling me that oh I'm lazy because I'm not kicking your belly or oh you're causing me pain because I'm giving you acid reflux so I think that you know rather than thinking about it like own worst enemy I like to think about it that you're having to basically get from minus 10 to zero before you can even get from zero to Mm. one so i think like what you're doing with women is having to do a lot of path clearing before they genuinely are on equal footing with men and that path clearing part isn't considered and what i mean by that is Let's clear out, like, you know, a lifetime of being oppressed. Let's clear out a lifetime of not necessarily being told you're good enough. Let's clear out any traumatic issues you've had from sexual assault because 97% of women have been assaulted. So, you know, you're talking about investing in a founder, a female founder, who's probably been assaulted, probably had some trauma, probably been told she's worthless at some point in life, probably felt less than. And you want to expect her to be able to have the freedom to run a company at the same rate as a, a guy that has been given all of the privileges. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, uh, you know, women are not to blame, essentially. The system is to blame. And I think that, you know, if I was an investor, I'd definitely be thinking, uh, especially, like I said, at C stage, I'd definitely be thinking more about the welfare of my founders,
0: yeah. I think that's the key, isn't it? I I just see a lot of VCs just like literally throwing paraffin on companies and going like, well, you might burn or you might be, you know, it might be a great fire. And and it's that sort of stress that I think... it, it's aggression really when you think about it microaggressions and that sort of stuff which is like pushing people to do that sometimes you'll fly i think more times than not they help a failure of a business rather than anything else but i'm intrigued to sort of see those behaviors change from a vc perspective and i do see green shoots i must admit there are funds working in different ways hiring differently but it's certainly not coming fast enough um, to your point earlier um Let's talk about the future, because I know we're um, going to be short on time. Um, I was amazed by the recent Olympic drama with the Norway handball team being fined because they wanted to wear shorts, considering male counterparts do. Um, it's, it's mad.
1: It's crazy to so me
0: infuriating because i was like number one i don't really give a shit about the olympics but number two like now i give a shit about the olympics because it's unjust and you're meant to be the most just sort of place and but anyway is it all about the male gaze and other bullshit how do you stay motivated when you see examples like this constantly thrown up about the inequality that's, that surrounds the sexes
1: well do you know what i don't actually feel frustrated because the mount mal- that the sorry the team made a decision and just did it regardless of the yeah. fine. They, they actually, like I said, stepped into their power mm. with it, which is, like, really, really exciting to see. One of the things that I find really interesting, right, you know, like, when Naomi Osaka, like, stopped doing press conferences because of her mental health, right, and people yeah. were trying to explain, oh, you don't understand the French system, it's like, this is how it is, da, da, da. And I was thinking, the combined wealth and power of Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka they could actually start their own league. Yeah. They could start their own tournament. Yep. And, you know, circling back to the thing we talked about at the beginning in terms of, like, building your own table or, like, starting things from scratch, I'm like, what What people need to realise? Oh, I'm just remembering, actually, a scene in – um, have you ever watched The Morning Show? Oh, you, yeah, with Jennifer uh, uh, Jennifer Aniston. Je- Jennifer Aniston. Yep. And, yeah, do you know the scene where she's in the boardroom and she's like, "I think you're forgetting who has the power yeah. here. Like, it's my show. Like, I'm the anchor. It's my show." And I think that rather than be purely participatory in these big events, these big TV shows, whatever it is, these big sporting things, if women started to realise that they're not like just the talent, they're actually like the the re- the main resource that fuels the show, they can start making decisions differently and i think what that volleyball team did was make a very different decision Mm -hmm. and i'd i'd like to see more of that it doesn't actually upset me it doesn't make me think of the male gaze it just makes me think oh wow like women can make a choice only when they have the resources to be able to afford
0: the fallout that that's the clue isn't it you you don't have to play the game if you've got the money it's not having a few money (laughs) but it is making that choice and sort of like you say, stepping into your power. I, I absolutely think that's a genius way of looking at it.
1: Exactly. That. If you've got the money, you've got the choice, and that's always been my thing. I think it's always been unanimously mm. that money's choice, you yeah. know?
0: Um, what goes through your mind when you think of women who are joining the workforce after you?
1: Um... What
0: do you mean? So in the future, for people who are like, you know, treading behind your footsteps and that sort of thing, what's your what's your thoughts for them? Are you hopeful? Are you like, this is what you need to let, know now in order to like do it better than I did? What would you do?
1: I would... It's a really hard question because I think that like, I, you know, I'm 37 and in my lifetime... I've made choices that were not necessarily things I wanted to do, but just because I was good Mm. at them. And I think, like, if you're a woman entering the workforce now, the only thing I would urge you to be is intentional and to not, like, float along from job to job or opportunity to opportunity and basically plot the course of your life out as you want to live it. I just wanted to be in fashion and styling from when I was 12 years old and my path from 12 to 24 was exactly as I'd charted it until I had a random idea to open a nail salon and then it diverted me in a completely different path and to be honest I was bewildered because I thought this was something I was just going to do for fun just do as a side project And, you know, it it basically led rise to another 10 years of randomness, um, which people might say was successful. But I would say, like, you know, I was definitely just trying loads of things out. And that was good. But what I've done with the stack is basically come full circle to the thing that I did in 2008, which was, you know, even before I opened the salon with WA magazine, I held a panel discussion at the ICA in 2008 saying how did you get your first job (laughs) to me and five of my friends and I'm like oh wow it took like I can't do the math but you know 12 13 years for me to basically go back to what I did all the way Mm -hmm. back then that I was really good at and really enjoyed so you know I would say if you're entering the workplace, do it with intention. I like
0: that. All right, I'm going to uh, move on to Desert Island Tweets. This is the uh, original part of the show of Mouthwash where the guest picks a tweet or two that's changed their mind um, or thinking in some way. So if you turn your attention to The Nest, you'll be able to see a tweet from Ray Dalio. Uh, He says, it is common for conversations to consist of people sharing their conclusions rather than exploring the reasoning that led to those conclusions. As a result, there is an overabundance of confident expressed bad opinions principle of the day and then a little image that says don't pay as much attention to people's conclusions as the reasoning that led to them and their conclusions why did you pick this one
1: i love this tweet because i like to think about the difference between process and outcome and which is more important at any one time and i always talk to my team about this i'm like like is the opinion or the World right now which is incredibly polarised right like left versus right, man versus female etc mm. and I keep thinking like how, how can we how can we essentially be more empathetic and understanding like literally that that's yeah. it like how can we be more understanding to humanity, to other people etc and I think that understanding how they got to their opinion so for example like if you know someone who's like i'll give you a stupid example i don't eat pork Mm -hmm. right like i don't eat pork or prawns and people are like oh that's weird and i'm like it is totally weird they're like are you religious and i'm like i'm not religious however i grew up in a seventh day adventist household where it's, like, kind of a bit Jewish, a bit Christian, and you just don't eat pork and don't eat seafood, and, like, that's the thing, and that's just how it is. So then, you know, it kind of makes you understand, like, why I don't eat pork, yes. because you've heard the process of how I got there. However, if I did a different process, which is, oh, you know, pork is full of nitrates and parasites and harder to digest, you know, That's a different thing. You'd have a different opinion of me. Then if I said a third way, which is like, you know, I ate a piece of bacon and basically got a stomach bug for six months and almost died, you'd have a completely different. Now, imagine if you're a waiter and you've got bacon in the sauce, Mm -hmm. right? And I told you these three different reasons. You would... It's almost like saying I'm allergic to it. You would be more careful if you if I said I was allergic. If I said, oh, I just don't like it, you'd be less careful. Do you get what oh, I mean? So. so, like, knowing the process affects how people treat you and affects people's understanding of you. So I, I'm always really interested. Like, when someone says, oh, I don't like that or I don't do that or I don't go there or whatever, I'm always like, oh, I wonder mm. why. It's more illuminating and helps you have far more empathy people
0: i couldn't agree more and you use my favorite um word there which is why i, I use it far too uh, much but i get a lot of pleasure from it <laughs> that's thing. okay uh that is uh it for this episode of mouthwash and a nice positive sentiment to leave the conversation on um, thank you for being part of mouthwash Shamadine. um any final thoughts or advice for listeners when it comes to the power of um female empowerment
1: Yeah, my final piece of advice is start using words like genius, visionary, strategic and all of these words that are typically applied to men to the women in your life. So next time you're talking about a woman, think of the language in which you're using and try and make it positive and 10x.
0: That is perfect. Um, Okay, folks, uh, that was episode 18 of season two. Thank you for listening. Um, How do we do? Let me and the world know by using the hashtag mouthwash show. Um, I am thrilled to have an amazing cohort of brains join me for season two. I've curated a bevy of smart folks from uh, Babylon Health to leading futurist Ada Paris, who's coming up tomorrow with women in tech's Esprit Devora. She's amazing. Uh, That's right. It's a two for day, two mouthwashes, one day. Never done it before. It should be exhausting. (laughs) Don't miss a minute. by checking out mouthwashshow.com you get full details downloadable calendars links to previous episodes which are now podcast episodes on spotify apple music and all other quality podcast platforms once again my thanks to the amazing sharmadeen reed follow her on twitter download the StackWorld app over on the app stores and find out more over at sharmadeenreed.com Please show your appreciation one more time with a shower of emoji for Shamadin as the lo-fi music plays us out. Thanks again for joining and thanks again to the beautiful folks at Ecology who are planting a tree for every single person in this space. I've been Paul Armstrong. This has been Mouthwash. Fresh chat that leaves you more confident only on Twitter spaces.